do we really want Susan and Lucy to fight in this battle? Or do we want children to not have to fight in battles? Well, what are we punctuating as the important act? Is the important act the fight or is the important act the healing? Right. Go. 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 Hi. <laughs> Had to. Hi. Hello, everyone. Hello. How are you, everyone? Do you... How's everyone doing? Do you have a cup of tea? Because Aaron and I both have cups of tea. We, we both have Wait, tea. what kind of tea do you have, Aaron? I have, like, an orange cinnamon type tea. Ooh. Is, is it an herbal or is mm -hmm. it a... Okay. No black yeah. tea for you? Usually, yes, but... I was already like deeply caffeinated, so okay, okay. I just wanted more of like a the ambiance of like an orange smell. Uh huh. Tell yeah, the listener about that. your concoction. So my okay. So here's the thing. I also drink a lot of caffeine, but is it just <laughs> me, or does caffeine from tea not really hit the same as caffeine from coffee? Because I feel like that's true for me. I feel like it, even if I'm drinking tea that has caffeine in it, it it's it doesn't like keep me awake. It's like calming. Interesting, because I think for my body, the caffeine of coffee no longer works for me at all, <laughs> unless it's like unless it's like from Cosmonaut or Bluebeard up here, where it's like oh, the sure. premium label stuff uh -huh. or whatever. But like. If I drink a caffeinated tea, though, I'm bouncing through the roof. And Interesting. I, I, okay. Yeah. Bodies it's, are fascinating. It's like all psychological. <laughs> I mean, honestly, yeah, weird. probably. Well, it also could be like, I don't drink a lot of tea in the morning. So maybe mm, that's what it sure. is. Like, I usually drink tea, you know, like late afternoon, evening, like when I'm like winding down for the evening. Whereas... Yeah. I usually drink coffee, like, in the morning when I'm trying to wake myself up. So. Sure. Maybe that's part of it, too. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. you asked. <laughs> you asked me to describe the tea that I'm drinking. So. Which sounds um, incredible. I am drinking chai. And I have added. <laughs> I doctored <laughs> it a little bit. Because um, yeah. it's just, like, the chai tea bags. It's not, like, quote, unquote, real chai. It's sure. just, a tea, you know, tea bags that are chai spiced. But I added a little bit more spices. I added some nutmeg and some ginger and a, mm. a dash of maple syrup. And then <laughs> I don't I don't have any milk, so I added some French vanilla coffee creamer. Um, Perfect. Yeah. You know, it's not... It's not elegant, but it goes down you know, easy. <laughs> you know what? Who's got the time for elegance? Come on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's good. It feels very, it feels very appropriate for discussing Narnia. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. Rhonda. Yes. I believe it might be time for my favorite question. It's your favorite yeah, segment. I'm actually so happy that we do this segment now. Me too. I think it's really fun. Um, it is really fun. What what has found its way to your television? Set? Oh, well, thank you for asking. <laughs> oh man, what even have I been watching? I have not thought about this. <laughs> and I honestly cannot name. <laughs> I've been watching some YouTube videos. Um Yeah. Uh, but, like, as far as, like, TV, oh, wait, 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 I do remember a movie that I watched over the weekend that was called, yeah. um, Something from Tiffany's on Amazon, yeah. and I don't know how I feel about it still. <laughs> Why do I feel like I've heard about this? What's it, what happened? So, there's, like... I guess it's a rom-com. 
technically, but it's okay. There wasn't very much comedy though. I mean, like there was uh-huh. some, but you know. Okay. But um, so there's a woman played by Zoe Deutsch who I have loved her and everything I've seen her in. Um, yeah. She is living with her boyfriend and her boyfriend is so like her boyfriend's buying her a Christmas gift at Tiffany's um but it's a pair of earrings and as he is like coming home from Tiffany's he's hit by a taxi and he like bumps his head and um he loses his memory like at least for like you know that time period it's not like he lose completely loses all his memories but um at the same time there's another guy who has also just been to Tiffany's and he bought an engagement ring for his girlfriend um but he sees um the other guy get hit by the taxi <laughs> I'm explaining this whole setup um and and so he like goes and like tries to help him out but their their Tiffany's bags get mixed up so <gasps> yes yeah, so the boyfriend who can't remember this like 48 hour window of his life has yeah. this engagement ring now and he's like oh I guess apparently I was planning to propose. And so he gives her the engagement ring. And then like the other guy um, is like really confused when his girlfriend opens um, the Tiffany's (laughs) box and it's earrings and not a ring. And he's like, Oh shoot. What? (laughs) And so there, yeah. And so there's like this whole, like, I feel like this movie could have been like, with that kind of a premise, they could have gone so much more, like, whimsical and ridiculous than they did. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. It was like, uh, there, it was, it was, it was like it couldn't decide what tone it wanted to have, maybe. Sure. I don't know. I mean, the performances were all very enjoyable to watch. Okay. Um, So, like, go ahead and watch it, I guess. But, yeah. like... I don't know. I feel like there's still something just, like, missing from it. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it never really found its footing. Yeah. Which I think can happen a lot with a Mm rom-com. Because I think we've talked about this in the past about, like, I think in our satire conversation about people kind of think satire is easy. I think sometimes mm-hmm. people also think rom-coms are easy yes. and then, and then they don't land and you're kind of sitting there like, well, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Cool. This could have been meaningful and special for everyone, but okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. There was, wait, there was something else that I watched. Oh, okay. Yeah. I watched um, the newest um, episodes of, Sex Lives of College Girls, which I've talked about before on here. But yeah. Oh, that's yeah. I was trying to remember, like, I know there's something else that I watched on Sunday, and that's what it was. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, what have you been watching? <laughs> I've never seen that show. I need to get on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so, Mindy. Yeah, it's Mindy's show. It's you watch Mindy. it. I gotta watch it. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I haven't. Mindy's um, very disappointed in you. <laughs> I know, I know. She's been like reaching out, and I just mm-hmm. haven't like been able to to tell her. Yeah, hey, Mindy. I have to, just, I have to meta communicate with her. I'm sorry. Hi, Mindy. Erin's um, really sorry. She's really. So- I'm. I'm really sorry. Not she's, but I am. It's me. Talk about yourself in the third person. That's fine. That's my New Year's resolution. <laughs> um, I. What have I been watching? I, I watched half of the people we hate at the wedding mm. and I loved it so much that I wanted to start it again when I could pay more attention to it because I've been sure. I, like writing papers and stuff um, and I just didn't feel like I could give it the time it deserved from me because I really like instantly liked it. I Oh, there's this show called Couples Therapy, mm. which... Each, I mean, surprised that I would be watching that when that's my future career, but <laughs> it's on Showtime and it's each, um, it has three seasons and each season you go through 10 couples therapy sessions with like four or five different couples who are at various stages of like getting together or breaking up. Um, and 
it's just a really realistic account of like what it is to be in a couple and it brings mm-hmm. up all this really in, like fascinating stuff and obviously like there are i'm sure that there are elements that are scripted or heightened but i think i like as is true with any reality tv but i also think it really gets to the nature of why therapy can be really important and kind of you sit there thinking oh that i do that like here's mm-hmm. some things i can do because that's something that i do in my own personal life so i just um i really enjoy that and then we watched the Lindsay lowen christmas oh <laughs> um which oh wow 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 mm-hmm. yeah nicole and i texted through it and there were moments where I looked down for a while and I knew every, for like four minutes or something, I did this test where I looked down and just by the sound cue, I could tell what was happening in the show, in the movie. And it's because we've seen this same movie like so uh-huh. many times and yeah. it was pretty much true. It's the same as when we used to do talk throughs uh, or every, sometimes we still do talk throughs of movies um, and we'll have it on mute and we'll still know what's happening. There mm-hmm. was one Christmas movie we did that was that way where we didn't see it, but we did <laughs> because <laughs> it was just so predict. It was the one that hated women, but I can't remember. Oh, was it? Um, It wasn't. A Christmas prince. It was Christmas no. with a prince. Yeah, which was clearly trying to ride the coattails of. Oh, <laughs> <Christmas> absolutely. <laughs> it was far inferior. <laughs> yes. Um, mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I really hated that movie. <laughs> it was really bad. It was really bad. It was really. It was really bad. It hated um, women. It really yeah. did. So often they do. In yeah. mu- in either much the same or a very dissimilar way to how many critics of C.S. Lewis claim that he hated women. See what I did there? <laughs> I did. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so did C.S. Lewis hate women? I'm, I'm asking that of you, Aaron. <laughs> What do you think? <laughs> hmm. Well, I think it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things that I really, I don't know. How do you feel? I feel like, so, okay, this is going to be, this is going to be pretty long and explainy. So I haven't talked very much about how C.S. Lewis's Christianity informed the Chronicles of Narnia, because I feel like at this point it's it like, that's so well known um, Mm -hmm. that like it's, you know, it very clearly is Christian allegory. But I do think that like his Christianity and his theology are important when you're talking about how women are portrayed or, you know, even sure. like fem- like child female characters are portrayed in yeah. in um in the Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah. So so like we're gonna we're gonna talk about that, okay? We're that's what I, we're gonna do. <laughs> I love it. So I do definitely have like my own kind of like more thought out um, insights on, uh, particularly on Lucy and Susan, which I will get into, but I also just wanted to just kind of like talk through a few of the, of the female characters and just get more of a sense of like how we feel they're portrayed in in the books. Um, So, I mean, we can, I'm, well, like I said, like I have like pretty involved uh, thoughts on Lucy, but yeah. I'm curious what you think of Lucy. I'm feeling so like she's a hard one for me to tell like author message with because mm. she's she's been like my point of view character. Like she was my first one of my first point of view characters ever in my life. You know, like I resonated so hard with her in Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe, so it's hard for me to, like, gauge author 
not biased, but author like intent with her mm-hmm, because sure. she just felt less of a character and more of like an actual person <laughs> in the mm-hmm. world. Like Lucy exists, you know? Um, and I think that there's such a nice way that like we see the world like through her eyes. I don't know. I, but I also just can't remove my own bias. From yeah. It. So I think that it is important that Lucy is our point of view character especially if we're talking about like any kind of, you know, feminist or like egalitarian, not even necessarily feminist, but like egalitarian, you know, um, equality between the genders or um, even just like empowerment of female characters. I think it's important that Lucy is the point of view character because like you said, like we see the whole world through her eyes and that kind of demands that the reader see Lucy as a full person, like as a full character, right? Yeah. So I think that that's, I mean, that should be, like, that should be the bare minimum for, like, an author writing a female character is that it's, you know, just as full of a character as the male characters. Like, that should be, like, the lowest bar, right? And I I do think it's also kind of important that she isn't, believed too like I think that whole journey of hers is super definitely yeah because I think that it does like that's like something that I was actually like planning to to bring up oh sorry is that no 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 that's that's perfect (laughs) um because I think that like the fact that she's not believed definitely brings in this kind of perspective that like that yeah like women (laughs) women often are not believed young girls are often not believed um and it's kind of a safe space for us to explore that as young girls ourselves reading this you know yeah um there's even like really like the full like first I don't know how many chapters is it before the other kids get into Narnia too but like that first section of the book is really just about like Lucy being eventually being validated and and you know and people believing her um and I think that it's like so like the professor is the only one who actually believes you know that Lucy is telling the truth um and I think that it's yeah I just think that that's like I don't necessarily have like a firm like conclusion on that I just think that it's important that we think about that um I also yeah just that like like you mentioned we get to sit with her in her conviction there too Mm -hmm. like she doesn't waver she doesn't like start to think oh maybe I whatever like she's like you guys this absolutely happened to me and I'm not going to be quieted about it you can go over you can go away from me you don't have to be like I guess if this is going to cause a rift, then it is, but I'm sitting here in my truth. (laughs) So like beyond that, I, so I mentioned that I think that um, Lewis's Christian theology is actually kind of an important piece of how women are portrayed. And if there's any kind of feminist, feminist messaging um, in the text. So I think Lewis was, I guess you could, you could, classify him as like a conservative Christian now but at the time I think he was probably a more progressive Christian yeah so like he definitely you know had like ideas about women and feminism that were like typical of that time so like this comes through in um in the land the witch in the wardrobe where you know Edmund and Peter go and fight in the battle but then Susan and Lucy, you know, stay out of it because, as right. Aslan says, battles are ugly when women fight. Um, yeah. And I I think that that's... So, like, that logic, like, that line and that logic really doesn't, doesn't hold a lot of water because, like, it's not like... I mean, like, wars are always ugly, right? Even when it's just men fighting, like... <laughs> So I I feel like there's this kind of like, do we really want, um, do we really want Susan and Lucy to fight in this battle, 
Or right. do we want children to not have to fight in battles? Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like there's, it's, it's kind of like lean in feminism that like Lucy and Susan should get to fight in the battle, but like, shouldn't we not want right battles to happen at all? <laughs> Cause they're terrible. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just think there's an interesting kind of discussion there. I don't know. Yeah. So, like, what Lucy does instead of fighting in the battle is that um, Father Christmas, of course, gives her, like, the magic cordial that heals people who have been injured. Um, So Lucy, you know, kind of takes on, like, the very traditionally feminist role of, like, the healer um, rather than the one who's fighting in the battle. And that's, like... And that's, you know, traditionally, like, a very gendered, like, separation. Um, so, like, if you read it through that lens, then, like, you know, that's that's kind of, like, conforming to these patriarchal ideas. But at the same time, since Lucy is the protagonist of the book, we're, we're getting, like like the most heroic person in the book is not someone who's fighting a battle. It's someone who is healing. Yeah. And, you know, is, is reaching out through compassion and through love, which I think is like kind of radical, um, especially for the time. So, I mean, I don't think that there's like a black and white, like it's, it's feminist, it's anti-feminist. I don't think that, yeah. you know, I don't think that we can say definitively either way. I just think that there's, you know, there's nuance. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's a really important point is that, like, well, what are we punctuating as the important act? Is the important act the fight or is the important act the healing? And I, I, right. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah, and, like, I think that kind of on a surface level saying, like, well, Lucy's not fighting in the battle, so she's not as important. But when did we decide that 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 fighting in the battle is the most important thing? You know, kind of like you yeah. were just saying. So, yeah, yeah it's it's really interesting. <laughs> it really um, is. Yeah. So I also I also think that it's important that so. Lucy and Susan kind of take on, so in the like kind of Christian Bible allegory aspect of the story, Lucy and Susan kind of take on the role in the story of the women um, in the Bible who first saw Jesus after he was resurrected from the dead. Like that's kind of the role. So when Aslan, um, you know, comes back to life and it's Susan and Lucy who witness that. Um, yeah. So, and that's kind of always been like in, um, in sort of feminist Christian thought, the idea that women were the first to witness, you know, Jesus risen from the dead, which is like the core of, of Christian belief, right. Um, is kind of, is kind of a, um, a signifier that Christianity is not meant to be patriarchal and it's not meant to be oppressive to women. Yeah. And it's just been corrupted, you know, through, you know, through culture and through, yeah, misogynistic, um, society. Yeah. So I think that that, like that piece of the allegory that Susan and Lucy witness, um, Aslan coming back to life and then they go with him on this kind of journey to like ultimately you know help bring victory um, against the witch that's an important piece of it as well yeah <laughs> so I tell you yeah so I got a little bit about Susan in there too um, but I yeah. did also <laughs> want to mention while I was researching I read an article in Christianity Today that was a review of this book that I am definitely going to buy now <laughs> called The Feminine Ethos in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. Ooh. Yes, I'm definitely going to be buying that. Um, yeah. It looks like I'm going to have to buy it used. Otherwise, it's going to be like $80. But anyway. Um, (laughs) yeah, that's fine. Um, but in this review of it in Christianity Today, I thought that 
this is what like really intrigued me about it. Um, so in the review, it says, in her latest book, The Feminine Ethos and C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, Monica Hilder does not approach and defend Lewis's depiction of gender from a conventionally understood feminist perspective, rather by pointing to the disturbing assumptions underlying the traditional model of gender criticism Hilder makes a convincing case that Lewis was not sexist and or instead was consciously presenting a radical theological feminism that actually liberates us from our sexism. Interesting. In her call to seriously consider what our culture considers characteristic of quote-unquote successful women, she challenges readers to reflect on how our ideas of female equality get shaped by the very same power exertion paradigm we try to eschew in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, that is, you know, like, that's kind of what this whole idea of, like, the the girls don't fight in the battle, but is that really the goal? Like, right. do we want do we want anyone to have to fight in a battle? That sounds terrible. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> and it's kind of like, um, you know, I mentioned like the whole idea of like lean in feminism, which is really just like girl boss capitalism, right? Like that's not yeah. really empowering for anyone. So right. I think it's really interesting to to think about it in that. Um, yeah, through that lens. So yeah, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to read that book. <laughs> that sounds incredible. What, you know, what I always think about when, so when I was first reading it, the dichotomy that, that flew out to me is that Lucy goes in first and she has the first adventure in Narnia mm-hmm. and then her, and handles it much better than her much older brother does when mm-hmm. he goes in. So I always felt like she was given a lot of power there. Well, I mean, Edmund is like Edmund's an idiot. <laughs> Edmund's idiot. like oh, okay, whatever. Um, but what do you think of Susan? I don't think she's given enough stage time. Okay. I don't feel like you really get as much from her. You know, I I kind of she always feel it to me and you know it's been a long time since I read the books but mm-hmm. even in watching the movie it always feels to me like she's given like this motherly role and kind of just mm-hmm. asked to like take care of everybody else that is not me trying to knock taking care of everyone else but in in that I just don't think that she's given enough screen time at all you uh-huh. know sure like if we got more scenes of her taking care of everyone, that would be incredible and impactful. But I just think we're kind of given that script for her and then she's just there. Yeah. yeah. I, I agree. Like, I feel like you never really get a, uh, you never really get a handle on Susan. Yeah. Like never really. And I mean, like, to be fair, like this, you know, these are children's books, like the characterizations are by necessity kind of yeah. simplistic. Um, sure. Because like I would I would kind of say the same thing about Peter. Like we don't really see as much of him. Sure. I feel like we maybe kind of know or feel like we know who Peter is a little bit more just because like we've seen that character before. <laughs> yeah. Um right. <laughs> like in other things. Um or so, even met him on the playground and like <laughs> right. Oh, I had such a crush on Peter when I was ten. Um, but, <laughs> but what was I saying? I got all flustered about my crush on Peter. But we <laughs> You don't think he gets as much screen time. Right, right, right. Yeah. We don't get as much development from um from Peter and Susan because it's really like it's Lucy is the protagonist, but Edmund goes through the most transformation, really, as a character. So, like, we get to know yeah. both of them really well. Um, yeah. So, like, I did, I mean, I wanted to talk about Susan because I feel like, especially, at least in my notice, in, like, recent years, there's been a lot of discussion about, like, how, like, how, like, Susan was kind of, is, was kind of done in injustice um, because like she wasn't able to go back to Narnia in the last yeah. battle with the rest of them. And I feel like kind of the refrain is that like, oh, well, Susan, 
didn't get to go back because she liked lipstick and nylons. And that's like, you know, (sighs) with the framing that like, this is like an overtly anti-feminist thing that, well, Susan, you know, decided to express her femininity. So now she can't go to Narnia. Like, no, that's not... (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's a very overly simplistic interpretation of what the text actually says for the reasons why Susan didn't come back. So I'm just going to read you what the text says. Um, <laughs> yeah. So this is in the last battle. Um, this is in uh, at the end of chapter 12 when um, it's uh, Peter, Edmund, Lucy, and then Professor Kirk and Polly have all suddenly appeared in Narnia. Okay, so it says, Sir, said Tyrion, when he had greeted all these, if I have read the chronicle aright, there should be another. Has not your majesty two sisters? Where is Queen Susan? My sister Susan, answered Peter, shortly and gravely, is no longer a friend of Narnia. Yes, said Eustace, and whenever you've tried to get her to come and talk about Narnia or do anything about Narnia, she says... What wonderful memories you have. Fancy you're still thinking about all those funny games we used to play when we were children. Oh, Susan, said Jill. She's interested in nothing nowadays except nylons and lipstick and invitations. She always was a jolly sight too keen on being grown up. Grown up indeed, said the Lady Polly. I wish she would grow up. She wasted all her school time wanting to be the age she is now, and she'll waste all the rest of her life trying to stay that age. Her whole idea Mm. is to race on to the silliest time of one's life as quick as she can and then stop there as long as she can. So, like, yes, obviously, like, Susan is, you know, I think at this point she must be, like, like, college age probably because I think that's how old the Pevensey kids are now. Um, So, like, yes, like, this is very natural for for those things to be interesting to, you know, a young woman who is, like, 18 or 19 years old. But, like, that's not why she couldn't go back to Narnia. Right. Like, it it very clearly says that, like, she stopped believing. And yeah. she, like, she, like, is is finding her identity in something that's not, you know, that's not sustainable. Yeah. So, like, the problem isn't that, you know, that she likes lipstick and nylons. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is that she's kind of forgotten that she was a queen of Narnia. Yeah. And she's kind of not valuing herself. She doesn't see the true value in herself. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I feel like Lewis isn't really, like, condemning her. It's he's well, mourning that this is this is something that that happens a lot. I think especially to young women that, yeah. you know, and and I mean, we can get into the whole the whole discussion about why this happens to young women. But it definitely happens that especially yeah. at that stage in our lives, it can be very difficult to actually see the value in ourselves so absolutely I think it's yeah I think it's more of like a mourning rather than a condemning that's what it sounds like as you read I'm really happy that you brought the text because like that is what it sounds like is why do we a discussion of why do we place this type of like a, a change on on our children as they get a little older you know mm-hmm. like why do you have to decide and why do you have to like lose elements of yourself to be like more adult or more Mm -hmm. you know whatever or better fit in society man yeah and then like (laughs) so c.s lewis did actually write he wrote he like he wrote like letters to so like children would would write him letters about um, like asking him questions about the books and he would write back to them which i love so much um so he there was one letter that he wrote where he said, um, the books don't tell us what happened to Susan. Perhaps she will get to Aslan's country in the end in her own way. So, like, Lewis himself clearly hadn't given up on Susan. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I understand why people feel an injustice Yeah. In, when it comes to Susan, but I think that 
you need to look a little bit closer to understand like what's really going on there. Ah, uh, Susan. Yeah. And you know what though? There is a part of me that also like, maybe she didn't, she uniquely didn't want to return. And maybe that's yeah. her finding like saying no can sometimes be more empowering to something mm-hmm. that doesn't feel right to you anymore. So maybe yeah. it just felt like this, this doesn't feel like my truth right now. So mm-hmm. maybe I'm, you know, I don't know. Yeah, don't know. that could be too. Cause there is also like, there is kind of like a through line in, in most of the other books where like when the children have to be sent back to our world there's this sense that like you know you you kind of have to that they kind of have to like learn how to like how to live in our worlds and yeah. you know maybe not necessarily like fit in or conform or anything but like they like they they kind of have to it's it's um it's like too easy to stay in Narnia, quote unquote. <laughs> so like they have to, you know. Okay. They have to learn how to navigate this world. Um, right. Yeah. So maybe like at... Susan just got really good at living in this world. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But then like in the last battle, it's very clear that that sort of message has morphed a little bit into like, oh, well, actually you should stay in Narnia because it's better. Um, but <laughs> I mean, I agree, but like, (laughs) yeah, I did also want to talk about like the other female characters, especially like the other female, like co-protagonists. So like Jill and Polly and Erebus. Yeah. So like, what are, what are your thoughts on, on, on any or all of, of those? (laughs) Yeah. I I mentioned last time how deeply I connected with the horse and his boy, and I loved Erebus Mm -hmm. so much. Just, like, the whole through line that she was leaving something that didn't feel right to her, the whole, like, her connection, like, with her horse and kind of finding her independence. I just, I love her. Yeah. I am not remembering details, but I do remember just that she, like, she represented independence for me and I really Mm -hmm. really liked her well like she runs away from a forced marriage right yeah yeah um she kind of does like a Mulan thing where like she takes her brother's armor (laughs) and like disguises herself as a boy yeah and I and like also like I feel like there's it's kind of a touchy thing when you come to like female especially like very young female characters who are kind of like what we would call tomboys, as I, you know, would say Erebus is. Because I feel like it can be very easy to be like, oh, she's a good female character because she's acting like a boy, right? Sure. Like, like you don't want to, like, you know, get into yeah. get into that. But, like, yeah, I, I, I think Erebus is a really interesting character. Um, yeah, I like her a lot, too. <laughs> It would also be interesting if this were written today, like how, how she would identify and like how she would um, explore her own identity and what felt truthful to her. I think if this were written today, I think you could have had more of an, an exploration of um, identity there as well, which I think would have been really great. Um, Yeah. 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 And unfortunately I don't remember Jill or Polly. Aww. I am having a difficulty. Hmm. So Jill is in The Silver Chair and The Last Battle. Um, she's kind of the co-protagonist with Eustace. Well, actually, I actually I think um, Tyrion is really the protagonist of The Last Battle. Um, but Jill and Eustace yeah. are, are also there. Um, <laughs> they're also there. Um, yeah, I think Jill is really... I think Jill is actually my favorite. Um, yeah. Because I feel like, especially in the silver chair, I think she has, like, such, like, real moments, like, relatable moments where I'm like, yes, that is... <laughs> yeah. That is me. <laughs> 
And I feel, I also feel like in the silver chair, there is kind of this like, so like in the silver chair, Jill and Eustace have to go on this mission to rescue like the lost prince of Narnia. And they're kind of like, the the mission or like the duties that each of them have on this journey they're kind of divided into two categories um yeah and like jill is kind of the one who's who's responsible for like remembering all of the steps that they have to take um, okay whereas eustace is the one who has been to narnia before and so right. he's kind of in in charge of like so and i feel like it's a really like like neither one of their of their tasks are like inherently gendered, but they're complementary to each other, sure. um, in a really nice way. And I re- I just really like Jill. I don't know. It's really interesting to me that I like in my memory, I have a hard time with C.S. Lewis in general, like remembering character names. <laughs> I think of like I think of since the characters work so well together I always think of them as just groups like I remember actions but I don't remember like individuals which is interesting to me thinking back yeah because like I remember everything that you shared there but I didn't remember (laughs) who did what which is I don't know maybe it's just my little brain I don't know (laughs) but silver chair is also um the book that has um the the part where Jill is taking a bath in the <laughs> which you know I love I love when a character in a high fantasy novel takes a bath like we're here for it, it yes like especially if it's like in a castle yeah. you know like uh, I don't I don't know what it I don't know what it is I just love it love a bath um, yeah <laughs> well that's this has been going on a really long time. We can talk about this uh, for another 45 minutes, I'm sure. Um, Yeah. But I did want to... So, like, this is, like, a very strongly worded quote that I wanted to bring up. Because I don't fully agree with it, but I can see why someone would think this way. Yeah. So I'll just read it for you. Um, What is disturbing in the Narnian Chronicles, as well as in the whole range of Lewis's literary corpus is the way in which ultimate good is depicted as ultimate masculinity, while evil, the corruption of good, is depicted as femininity. Huh. It's just, yeah. I don't think that that's, like, true. Like, yeah. At all. I think that if you're... if I can see how a certain reading of the text sure. might lead you to that conclusion, especially if you're like filling in gaps with knowledge of like other works who do kind of have that dichotomy, but I don't think that it's true in this case. I don't know. What do you think of that? Um, (laughs) Like you said, I can see how that, as you were writing something, you could start to, to amass, um, data for it i could mm-hmm. see how that would be like you could you could definitely argue that point but i think you know i don't know i just think with the power of like the female characters and like we mentioned earlier if we explored a little more about what that power how they defined that that good and that you know in that quote mm-hmm. i think I think maybe they hadn't considered the conversation that we had earlier about like what what is powerful, what is you know what sh- what is important, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, I just I get I'm just, I'm trying to say that I would like to see their data points. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how they kind of defined their terms there. Yeah, it is because I mean that is like traditionally in the ways that like Christian theology has been expressed in our culture, like that is kind of true. Right? Like the the corruption of good, um, like we kind of view like like with Adam and Eve, like we kind of view Eve as like the one who, you know, was sure. tempted to evil and then, you know, convinced Adam to also 
to do evil. Um, and that's always yeah. been kind of like femininity has kind of always been feared in like patriarchal society, yeah. especially patriarchal Christianity. Um, it's always been kind of feared and othered. So like I can get like I, I definitely understand like reading that into Chronicles of Narnia, but I don't know that it's that if you're actually truly reading the text, I don't think that that's what you would take out of it. So, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> well, it also just made me think, like, like our, so if we're looking at, like, the, the villains, like, like Jadis, you mm-hmm. know, how much is she hyper-feminine and how much does she take on, like, other qualities that we might describe traditionally as masculine? Like, mm-hmm. it would just, I think you would need to look at the whole thing. Yeah. Interesting. Well, are you are you going to talk some more about Jadis? I was. Um, yeah. I was. I she's actually, fascinating. She's really fascinating, and I'm also going to talk about the ways in which we use World War. We use Lion with that ah, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe <laughs> specifically as a context to discuss World War II. Um, mm-hmm. And we've talked in the past about how fiction can be a really safe space to discuss danger mm-hmm. and things that aren't safe and all of this stuff. And I just, I have to say that as I was watching the beginning of the, I think the Walden books, um, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, mm-hmm. just the the danger that is discussed in the first part when she when Lucy meets Mr. Tumnus is some of the most terrifying stuff that I think I've encountered on a page or on in a movie and mm. I'll tell you why <laughs> so I think Lucy is supposed to be quite young right like she is mm-hmm. am I she's remembering nine. that quickly she's yeah. nine okay yeah. yes um and as she enters the wardrobe and goes to Narnia, she meets what we would expect in any other fantasy story to be a joyful, like loving character, right? Like we have been conditioned through fairy tales often to immediately trust our characters that we meet in woods. Um, But I think also children are often taught to trust adults, right? Mm -hmm. We, we go to adults and I want, I do want to include a trigger warning here. Cause I am going to talk about unsafe adults tricking mm-hmm. children. Um, so if that just feels uncomfortable, please step away. But this part is terrifying because not only because Mr. Tumnus befriends her and tells her like, basically I'm going to take care of you, but also we have to watch Lucy, as Lucy like is our point of view character, we watch this safe adult kind of turn into a monster mm-hmm. in our yeah. through our eyes. He makes the decision to tell her. For anyone who hasn't, you know, done *Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*, in <laughs> if, a you're, second, if you're this deep into this series and you haven't read *The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*, like, what are you doing? <laughs> what, do, what are you? What are you doing? But he's um, he's basically decided to kidnap her a son a daughter of of eve because of jadis being you know this kind of evil tyrant witch but and i remember this from being nine years old and hearing this story but lucy is sitting in a comfortable calm like warm little nook that Mr. Tumnus has brought her to and he's given her tea and he's made her feel very safe. And then she falls asleep and it, you know, it turns out that some not okay things have been given to her Mm. and she's like, it has, his plan would have completely worked had he not decided. And so had he not decided to protect her and Mm -hmm. there's that moment when she wakes up and there's descriptions of the entire thing feels differently and he basically has to tell her what he was going to do. And that's terrifying as mm-hmm. a child hearing this story. Um, but it's also very important that we have these stories because that 
happens, right? Um, and it's also very important to the telling of a story set in World War II. Hmm. Um, so it has all of these wrinkles to it. Like a wrinkle in um, time. Like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and I just, this discussion of, like, not being able to trust people if you pair that with the lens of World War II, it just, it becomes a whole different story almost. Yeah. Like, oh, this is a really, where it's also a, oh, often a one-to-one um, for um, Christian allegory. It also yeah. becomes a one-to-one for Nazi Germany. Um, yeah. yeah. And the people sure. who were, the people who were persecuted against at that time where you couldn't, you couldn't trust anyone. You didn't know who, because like with everything, as we learn mm. about Nazi Germany in the past, it seems very cut and dry. Like yeah. this is evil. This is good. But when it happens in, when you're living it, you might not necessarily know, or people might use your ignorance as of their intention as a means of tricking you. They often did. So just placing it in that lens um, is terrifying. And leads me to Edmund, who I mistakenly called Peter in my notes. Oh, no. Um, Oh, no. There's also Jadis and Edmund. So I see this as Edmund might have been a a child in World War II who was leaning towards the Nazi party. Mm -hmm. We know that there were Nazi soldiers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We know that that was a huge part of the indoctrination. And so, again, this is one where you switch the lens and the reading to being about World War II, and it's a one-to-one for how those children yeah. must have felt. Um, they had a deep love of their country and were told that they would be safe if, and then were conditioned in the same way that Edmund is. And I think a really big strength of Lewis's writing is like we mentioned earlier with Lucy sitting in being distrusted and sitting in not being believed. We also get to watch Edmund sit in and grow into kind of a different thought process. Mm -hmm. We watch his vilification for a while there in a way that I think must have been very similar to watching children who do not have these innate feelings of hatred grow into Hitler youth mm, and grow yeah. into that um and just how terrifying that is as a for a nation. That makes me want to watch Jojo Rabbit again. Yes. <laughs> uh oh. what a great movie. Yeah. That and Inglorious Bastards. I mm. man, I'm a little I'm a I'm I'm infinitely interested in history, but specifically making sure that just that I'm aware of World War II. But anyway. Yes. Um, and I everything had, oh, that led to that. Yeah. Especially right now. I also just had a note in here um, about other types of stories that do this. Like we talked years ago about Ella Enchanted and how formative that was yes. for us. <laughs> and how Ella Enchanted had a same kind of impact on me as a child of this first moment where I knew that autonomy could be taken away mm-hmm. when she is unable to disobey mm-hmm. and just how terrifying that is, but also how important it is for children to understand that their autonomy is important. And so I actually had a question for you, my friend, Ooh. as we kind of round out here. If we're talking about these stories um, that help us to process these major moments where we maybe lose some of our innocence or we learn about the world around us, I wonder if there were any books or media that helped you through a time where you were going through a growing pain or a growth period or you had like come into a bitter truth of the world and kind of needed to reckon with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want, And I think often we use media in these moments. And I just wondered if there was anything that, that you remembered from, from that period in your life. 
Yeah, I mean, of course, like Narnia. Um, yeah. And Ella Enchanted, I feel like both of the, you know, like yeah. very similar to what to what you um, have said about Ella Enchanted. Like, I feel like that was a very, that was very formative to my ideas about like free will and autonomy. Um, yeah. But I think also there was, there's this passage in, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, like toward the end uh, like it's talking about how like, you know, like, so the Pevensey kids ruled in Narnia, um, and they like grew into adults, um, yeah. while they were ruling. And it says, I can't remember it. Ex- I should grab the book and read it, but, but it says something about how like Lucy kind of kept her same kind of like wonder that she had as a child, even as she grew into an adult, and I yeah. remember reading that as, you know, a 10-year-old and thinking, yeah. like, what? That's weird that, like, she became an adult, but she still, you know, was, like, in a way was still kind of thinking the way a kid would about things. But yeah. I, but I like, as I've gotten older and as I've kind of learned harsh truths of the world, like, I, I kind of have tried to maintain the same, like, not like a childlike mindset necessarily, but like the sense that children have of like hope and optimism and like still being able to find wonder in, in things. And yeah, I feel like that's kind of become like my, like a core, like, piece of my personal philosophy that like even though like yeah like the world is super messed up and like there are times when we are like completely powerless to do anything but I think that still maintaining that sense of like hope and I don't I don't feel like optimism is the right word because like I feel like there can be naivete in optimism sometimes sure but like yeah, just like maintaining the idea that it's there's it's still worth trying to make the world better, even yeah. when it seems like yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'm explaining myself very well. <laughs> I love that answer. Yeah, yeah. What about you? I have two major ones. I remember. I think in third grade, I read Matilda for the first time. Matilda. And I think this, I've, I've kind of blocked it out, but I think this must have been the first couple times I might have not been outright bullied, but like started to feel like I didn't experience life the way my school society might have wanted me to. And I think Matilda helped me realize, no, 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 that's okay. Like, they can be over there. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) I'm going to be over here. They can be over there. Um, It's a little weird to innately understand that, like, oh, I'm just not hitting those boxes for you. (laughs) Like, okay, cool, whatever. Um, But I, I think in third grade, like, in second grade, I tried to wear, like, this was so, it's funny how we think about popularity as kids, but, like, mm-hmm. I started to try and, like, wear Roxy shirts and, like, <laughs> be what whatever, and then in third grade, I kind of stopped and, like, had a full turn the other way, and it was at the same time I was watching, I was reading Matilda, so that was a major one. Um, just helping me through like, oh no, there are many different ways to live in the world and I don't need to be a part of that one. And then in eighth grade, when I first saw Wicked, Elphaba helped me kind of like continue that conversation as like kind of more of an adult. Uh Well, I believe we took a quiz. We did. Oh, I, so I grabbed... Uh, I grabbed my copy of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and I was just, like, thumbing through the back of it, and um, there's some notes that I took in the back when I was, like, 15, because um, I, so there was this assignment for, um, for like, my sophomore English class where we had to choose a book that, like, represents our personal philosophy and then, like, write a paper about 
Uh, you cool. Know, like how it represents it. So I chose the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, I love that. I'm just like looking through to find to and like reading like what uh, the I guess like the core tenets of my philosophy that I extrapolated <laughs> from the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when I was 15. Um, what a <laughs> gift to have those notes. Right. I love yeah. that. Interesting. And you know, most like. For the most part, I still I still believe in most of this. So <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Interest. Little tidbit there. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yes. So we were talking about a quiz. <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering what the other options were for this quiz. Do you think it was just the four Pevensies, or maybe it also included Aslan and maybe one other character? Yeah. I Probably. I was wondering about that because. Oh, maybe like Eustace is in there too, perhaps. Yeah. Oh, Eustace. Eustace. Useless Eustace. What a name. I love that at the beginning it says like, his name was Eustace Clarence Scrub and he almost deserved it. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I know. And that also reminds me of... In Matilda, she talks about reading the Chronicles of Narnia, um, but and she says something like, "But there aren't any funny bits in it." But I, and I'm like, um, "Yes, there are." Um, <laughs> like, what what books are you reading? They're full yeah. of funny bits. Anyway, okay, okay quiz. <laughs> squirrel, um, squirrel, <laughs> squirrel bar. We never did start that squirrel bar. Um, <laughs> we gotta. Little scroll cocktails. Aww. <laughs> yes. Okay. Which character are you? I'm Queen Susan. Woo! Which I don't see at all. I see it. But okay. Oh. I totally see it. Okay. Who are you, Rhonda? I'm Lucy. <laughs> Heck yeah. Which I feel like I have like hardcore identified with Lucy like as long as I can remember. So yeah. Like, yeah. I'm Lucy, for sure. Yes. Shades are scratchy. The shades fail scratchy. (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) I need to watch that again. Yeah. Oh, that's what I was watching. I was re-watching Our Flag Means Death. That's what I was doing. Oh, nice. That whole time I was thinking, there's something else I was watching. It's that one. (laughs) Did you see, they, they just finished filming season two. Yay! Yeah. I hope good, that good. it has a happier ending. Uh-huh. Uh yeah, that'll hit. Well, we are um yeah. we're taking a break now, aren't we? Man, I kinda can't believe it's mid December. Yeah, we're right? taking a little break. Yeah. We I I just sent you um our doc for for our January bonus. Bow, bow, bow. Yeah. So, yeah. So we'll have a, we'll have, we'll do another best of. Yeah. Um, in January. Cause I feel, Excellent. I think that was, I think that was fun last year. It was. I agree. Yeah. Yes. We'll talk about our favorite media of 2022 and that'll be coming. That'll come out probably like the first the first weekend in January, I hope. Excellent. Something like that. And yeah. I have, <laughs> much like Narnia, I have deep opinions about our next topic. Oh my gosh. Ooh. I don't Dear even remember listener. what our next one is. What is our next one? A Stranger Things. Oh, that's right. Okay. I have 10 million opinions. Oh boy. I can't wait to yeah. hear all of them. Yeah, get get ready. And I get to talk about monsters. Yes, yeah. you love talking about monsters, Aaron. You should start monsters. your own monster podcast. Monsters. Call it Monstercast. Monstercast. Or or um Podster. 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 Or Make this woman stop talking about monsters. <laughs> it's monster.com. <laughs> <laughs> it's a monstrosity. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you know what? I think I'm going to, I think it, I might, it might be time for an office rewatch. <gasps> yeah. It's, it's, 
It's been long enough. It's time for another one. Um, yeah. I every <laughs> single year I rewatch Broad City in January, mm. so we're gearing up for that. <sighs> well, this has been well, a very long episode. <laughs> we needed it. We did. We had a lot of have... we had a lot of feelings. <laughs> You should know that I have a cat who's asleep on my shoulder. Aww. He's very good. He joined us. Aww. Yeah. Do you ever dress him up like a dragon? See, I think he would actually love that because he really likes compression. So oh. I think I, think I, I need to because he would Here's be a, a, a great dress. Yeah. yeah. I could like fly around and then and, stuff. and then you could cosplay as Daenerys. I mean... yeah obviously and i'll be sansa perfect yes best friends (laughs) they're best friends perfection all right uh well okay friends um we wish you happy holidays yeah uh whichever holidays you celebrate or don't (laughs) Yeah. And a happy new year. We w- we also wish you stillness if you if holidays are like not feeling great. Just yeah. take take a time for yourself. Draw yourself a bath. Treat yourself. <laughs> Treat yourself. So, yes. yes. Either way. Mhm. Okay. Okay. We're bad at this. Now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, bye now. Bye.